Welcome to the Esri and the Science of War podcast. The risks resulting from climate change used to be the problem of a business's insurance department. Alex Martinick, Esri's lead for business resilience, financial services, and insurance, says that investors now understand that a business's long-term profits depend on protecting the planet. It's not every day the CEO of the world's largest asset holding company draws such a firm red line with its customers to say, we are no longer going to be supporting unsustainable business practices moving forward. And this is because unsustainable business practices are unprofitable. Esri's John Lenahan explores how geospatial technology and geography, the science of our world, are helping businesses maintain their competitive edge while understanding the risks of climate change. Hi, Alex. Welcome back to Esri and the Science Aware podcast. It's always a pleasure. The financial community is moving on climate change, and they're all in. You know this, I know this. But like many of us, they've known about it for years, but now the effects are indisputable, as are the costs. By considering the health of the planet, it's providing these organizations a perspective on their long-term business prospects. Alex, you've said that geography is coming into the boardroom of, of investment firms. That's a game changer. Help me understand why you think this is. Well, geography, more specifically location intelligence, is a natural lens that business professionals can use to understand and contextualize massive amounts of of disparate information that comes in. And what we're seeing today is that it's not just about having a, a geographer or a map maker at the table in the boardroom. What we're seeing now is the democratization of geospatial tools and technologies, and it's being embedded in order to add more precision to decision making. So Alex, if, if I could generalize that, looking at financial markets and looking at climate-related risks, we know that is spatial in nature. Climate happens somewhere. Or investment managers are looking at their portfolios through the lens of, the, of a geographic uh, perspective. Yeah. And here, let me tell you a story, because I don't believe anyone has done this better than AT&T working alongside Oregon National Labs. Yes, I'm willing to say here that the American Telephone and Telegraph Company is proving once again, while they are the leaders in the telecom space, but I'll tell you about what they did more specifically. The company took a series of common perils from flooding and wildfires to hurricanes and tornadoes, and they created an absurdly precise land cover of the whole US. Now this took place at 30 meter resolution, meaning that these cells were only 90 feet in diameter. Once they understood where those perils were statistically likely to occur, they could overlay a digital infrastructure, a digital twin of their entire network. This enabled their business managers to proactively invest in hardening assets based on the threats they were likely to face. They're managing billions of dollars worth of investments. Why does this precision matter? When we're looking at challenges and the disruptions facing businesses, not only today, but looking at 2030, 2040, 2050, these are larger systematic issues. When we look at climate change, it's not one thing. Climate change is many things. We're looking at the rising frequency and severity of natural disasters, right? We're looking at resource scarcity. We're looking at displaced communities and what that might do for workforce availability. The level of precision is needed because organizations are gonna be impacted in several different ways. Uh, A recent study showed that nine out of 10 Fortune 500 companies have at least one asset that's at risk to climate change moving forward. Not all assets 
are equal in evaluation. Not all of them have the same strategic importance to an operation. That precision allows groups from retailers and manufacturers to know the impact of this crisis will cause this type of downstream impact in our operations. And they need to be able to get ahead of that. Let's take a step back. I, I know there's a lot of context you wanna share, Alex, and climate change is not new. What do you think woke up the industry? I think it comes down to two parts. The first is the financial implications, but the second, and more importantly, it comes down to the liability associated. So if we're looking at investments, traditionally, investors and, and portfolio managers, they focused on financial factors, right? Market risks, inflation risks, interest rate risks. But what about the physical risks? If you're investing in coastal properties in Florida, did real estate investment trusts look at the physical risks of those properties? Not really. And why is that? Because that risk was always transferred to another party. Yeah, I was going to say that. I mean, insurance companies have known this for years and they've been managing this and, and building businesses around it for decades. Absolutely. If we go back even 50 years, we can find reports on the impact of climate change that uh, are frighteningly accurate to what we're seeing today. But let me just look more recently. Back in 2007, Lloyd's of London, who is a insurance marketplace, they published their 360 risk project in which they clearly highlighted that climate change was going to impact business operations in our lifetime and throughout the next couple of generations. What they encourage insurers to do is take drastic steps to reevaluate their strategies. Now, what does this mean? They're telling insurers you either need to increase your pricing or, in, or drop coverage for certain businesses. So if you have an unsustainable business practice, you can't get insurance moving forward. That's a huge motivator. So the other side of the coin is this idea of ethics and the idea of ethical investing has been around for a while. Universities are under pressure to divest their pension funds of oil and gas holdings. How is this different from ethical investing? And why is it taking so long for the investment business to catch up? Yeah, I've heard a lot about this, but the truth is that ethical investment patterns from a moral perspective, although they're gaining traction, they aren't fundamentally overtaking the traditional strategies. But when we see this momentum, right, we can talk about leaders in the Fortune 500 space, uh, Larry Fink from BlackRock Consulting or Jamie Dimon from JP Morgan Chase. They're clearly signaling to their shareholders that they're prioritizing longevity and sustainable growth over short-term profit maximization. Why is this? Because the more inherently sustainable and responsible a business is, the more resilient they are as well. And I think that is one of the big drivers moving forward. When we look at Larry Fink sending an open letter to the CEOs of every one of their customers to uh, prescribe to the TCFD framework, the task force for climate-related financial disclosures, or you have Jamie Dimon recognizing really for the first time systemic inequities in the United States financial system, this level of corporate responsibility never happened before. Yes, there is a pressure from customers and their growing social consciousness for this change, but really it comes down to these challenges, the more sustainable you are, the more likely you are to weather future disruptions and have a competitive advantage. So it's good for business. You can do well by doing good. And this is the first time we've seen that caught on in the United States. This has been a popular thought for about 20 years in the U European Union. This idea of promoting your stakeholders over your shareholders, uh, it, it's drastically new. Is corporate America 
kind of getting ahead of government regulations in this space? Are they driving regulations at this point? You know, I mentioned earlier with Larry Fink, and this is why I keep going back to BlackRock and JP Morgan Chase. It's not every day the CEO of the world's largest asset holding company draws such a firm red line with its customers to say, we are no longer going to be supporting unsustainable business practices moving forward. When we look at things like the uh, CEO roundtable or the task force for climate-related financial disclosures, government entities aren't mandating this. The industry is mandating it because they are collectively trying to overcome the challenges of climate change. Now, we can also look at the SEC. The SEC has a requirement for 10K filings. This is any type of loss or disruption to business that you'd like to write off and report. We have seen a growing number of Fortune 500 companies using 10K filings to disclose climate risks. But again, it's not required for businesses to take this extra step. They are absolutely leading the way. So thinking on investment strategies, historically, political instability and policy has been a big factor in determining a company's investment strategy. Now they also need to look at climate instability and risk. I'm aware of a lot of organizations that are using Earth observation tools, satellites, remote sensing, and machine learning to pull information out of that imagery to predict outcomes, whether that's the deforestation of a, of a cocoa field or um, palm oil, et cetera. How are some of the organizations you're working with accommodating this dimension in their investment strategies? Let me give a quick use case in the manufacturing space, right? We were working with a global automotive manufacturer who just wanted to understand uh, the risks that were within their existing supply chain. They didn't know, right? Traditional supply chain uh, management happened in disconnected databases and Excel spreadsheets. When we were able to visually demonstrate where they had facilities and the risks that they were facing on, on all sides, right? The political risks, the economic instability, uh, the ability for them to maintain a workforce on top of the climate risks. Here's what they found. They had a critical node. It was one facility that created a very specialized part for one of their flagship vehicles. It was at high risk in all of these categories. A single day's worth of downtime at that facility had millions, if not tens of millions of dollars worth of lost potential. If you don't understand where it is you're going to be impacted and how, more importantly, you won't be able to overcome the challenges we're facing. It's back to that think globally, but act locally strategy. You mentioned agriculture. We want to understand how orange juice is going to be impacted this year because of weather. You fly a drone. You understand this now because of location intelligence. That speed to decision is so much faster. Now, we are already working with a couple wineries in Northern California, Washington, and Oregon who are using their own drone systems for this. And now that it's catching on at a micro level, we are seeing some of the larger institutional firms leveraging the same technology. You have analysts whose sole focus is maybe soybeans or grain in one particular region. Now they're empowered. They never have to go on site. They understand what the health is going to be. They now know with real-time sensors and predictive analytics what the crop yields are going to be for that year. That is amazingly precise from a trading perspective. When Hurricane Ian hit in the fall of 2022, the story of Babcock Ranch, Florida, was all over the news. Babcock was a thoughtfully designed community built to withstand storms of this magnitude, inland from the coast, and it included design elements, such as the ability to channel storm waters, utility lines running underground. 
ultimately, this forward-thinking approach meant they weathered the storm with very little impact to the community and the, the people who lived in the community. Thinking in the business world with the focus currently on avoiding the risks of climate change, Alex, what do you see as the positive outcomes from this approach? The question really is why. Why is it that community was still standing? And working in insurance for almost 10 years now, we have all these anecdotal examples of the house that stood or the community that survived. Uh, this isn't just chance. Many of them were designed purposefully to do so. But what this means is whoever the developer was, whoever was building uh, those structures, they knew the inherent risks and they decided to put in the extra costs associated with hardening them. Now, I mentioned AT&T and that massive undertaking of theirs. Let me break down really uh, how unique this was. I, I talked about 30 meter resolution. This is incredibly precise. Basically, uh, every 100 feet of their national network is understood down to the main perils it's going to face. Is this uh, network going to be impacted by wildfires? Is it going to be prone to flooding? By investing in hardening those assets now, they're still online when those events do occur. So from a competitive advantage perspective, what we're seeing is what is going to be the value of AT&T when its competitors go down from these storms, but they're still online, when they have that reputation of still being online. Let's talk about the future of this industry, especially in the light of what we learned about spatial awareness uh, as a result of COVID and also the, the recent White House climate mapping um, for resilience and adaptation initiative, CMRA. COVID raised the awareness of monitoring and managing employee safety, open closed facilities, their supply chains. It also increased communication and reporting to the public, to shareholders. They're using maps to share progress based on you know, progress being made on initiatives. And then CMRA is providing tools and data to help people and communities consider their local exposure to climate-related hazards and, and how to develop equitable plans to protect their people and, and their um, property. What do you imagine is the future for an industry grappling with predicting the future when, in light of COVID, that idea seems impossible? Well, John, you mentioned COVID, and like many people, I had a lot of time to think about the lessons learned, uh, two years to be exact. Here's what, I, here's what I came up with ultimately, which is two things. The first is that regardless of the consumer, brand loyalty will only go so far in the face of necessity. Business resilience is not a cost center. It is a competitive advantage. Businesses can't just grow their way out of the disruptions that they're going to be facing in the future. And so you talked about the difficulty in predicting and anticipating. This is where location intelligence comes in. Uh, it's not about making those trades today or for this quarter. It's about understanding the moves you have to be making for 5, 10, 15 years from now based on the risks you are facing today. We're seeing this right now with retailers struggling to move merchandise because of the gluts. They didn't understand the risks facing their consumers. So the next, the future of this is taking resilience planning away from just being seen as corporate security and isolation and really understanding how is this impacting my ability to fulfill my brand promises and how is it impacting my customers? You open that by saying business resiliency isn't a cost center but it's more. Is that aspirational coming from you? Is that really the case? Are you seeing that in practice? 
I am absolutely seeing this in practice. And I'll preface by before the lockdowns, business resilience was seen as a buzzword. Uh, really, I was at this corporate security event just a couple weeks before everything. And there was a lot of skepticism about investing in this level of resilience. Executives don't want to spend money to avoid a cost. They want to spend money to make money. But what did we see during COVID-19? I think by the end of the first summer, over half a million small businesses went out of business. However, other companies were posting 30% growth during, mind you, the greatest economic crisis in the United States since the Great Depression. This is because they had invested in having a robust unified commerce strategy. They understood the location aspects to fulfill upon their brand promises. Alex, as always, thank you so much for uh, joining us on Esri and the Science Aware podcast. Look forward to speaking again soon. Absolutely, John. Great to be here. Thank you for listening to the Esri and the Science Aware podcast. And thanks to Alex Martinick for explaining why sustainability is top priority for businesses to maintain long-term growth. If you like this episode, please share it with a colleague.